Peace and love, y'all. This is Rock chopping it up with Fly Fidelity about everything sharecropper's daughter, music, and health and wellness. Tune in and tap in. Details just ahead. Do you love credible content, but, but, but hate how long you have to wait? And who wants super thick and frothy dumpster juice with rat corpses in it? There's a better way. Fly Fidelity. Fly Fidelity. Fly Fidelity. Fly Fidelity. Fly. Fly. Fly Fidelity. Fidelity. Fly Fidelity Podcast. Fly Fidelity, baby. Fidelity, baby. Fidelity. With your host, Luke Bailey. Fly Fidelity, credible content for incredible times. And today we are joined by Rhyme Sayer's very own, the beloved, the third eye opening, Sarok. On this episode, we unpack her latest body of work, the Sharecropper's Daughter Deluxe Edition. Enjoy the conversation. Shaped by darkness as much as light, descendant of the Sharecropper's plight, from can't see in the morning to can't see at night. To second sight, with the wherewithal to fight, an exercise of excision, excavation, exorcism, to heal the spirit and reveal the prism beyond the prison, groomed by addiction, tuned by a vision, one woman, one mission. How does it feel after one year as of last month, having released this deluxe edition of The Sharecropper's Daughter, which you recently submit for Grammy consideration for Best Album and New Artist? What does it feel like looking back over the past 12 months and experiencing this material through a new lens? Yeah, it's actually kind of surreal on multiple levels because one, I can't believe an entire year has passed. It seems like a blur. (laughs) And then... Um, The fact that the album was so well-received by so many um, and the response that I've gotten and, you know, even with the deluxe releasing after that, you know, people just feeling like that helped to kind of complete the story that I was telling. Um, So I feel proud. Um, I feel uh, accomplished that, you know, we were able to you know, submit to for Grammy consideration and work and we were accepted um, because that doesn't happen for everybody. And, you know, we'll see what happens with that. But um, just, you know, even the album charting when it first came out and, you know, all of these things are something are things that as an independent artist, um, you know, you hope for the best, but you never know what's going to happen. You never know how people will how your music will resonate with, with people on a broader level. Um, so it's affirming. Um, like, you know, I never needed the validation, but it's affirming that I'm doing the right thing, that that authenticity and being true to my, you know, creative roots and my historical roots are, you know, what's needed for me and apparently other people as well. So we're on the right track. When I wake up, no makeup, have naked, I feel like I'm the shit. 
Pardon my language, but hang-ups do not define the kid. No, I'm not flawless. I'm scarred up and I'm fine with it. My body are the laundry list of all of life's unkindnesses. But I still sip tea and chant home and live free. Cause hardships and heartbreaks turn to rap epiphanies. And mom told me stay woke cause all gold ain't glistening. Choose your words wisely cause the all-knowing's listening. But no worries, I'm Gucci. My thighs are a little juicy. My dialogue, little awkward. My idols still move me. My life is a movie like Raheem and Mookie. I'm just trying to do the right thing. Hope that it improves me. My bamboos are costumes to me. You'll be soon accustomed to me. This tomorrow, I got royal hemoglobin coursing through me. And my strength is now inhuman. I get that straight from my umi. Signed in silver, I'm out the grill of yours and truly. You better shine on them, baby. You a star. You better be exactly who you are forever. Cause they gon' try and change your heart. Don't let up. Cause you're so damn fine. Just the way you, you better are. shine on them, baby. You a star. It was one uh, overcoming my trepidation about recording in the studio with <laughs> with uh, anyone really, but uh, recording with with Black Thought um, was one of the kind of major things that kind of um, served as that aha moment. I hate that expression, but you know it works here. Uh, <laughs> that aha moment that you know I had elevated my my writing skills to the point where I could hold my own next to someone, you know, a legend like that. You know mm. what I mean? That's all I asked for to be able to hold my own and to see like after being extremely nervous in the studio and to see him, you know, give me that. Damn. Okay. Um, was um, super dope for me. Um, it was again, very, very affirmative. It was a triumph for me. Um, and then uh, one of the things, honestly, is my brother finally listening to the album, and and he was a huge musical influence on me. And I feel like because you know this was not my initial career path, being an artist, being a you know a a recording artist, you know everybody expected me to do something else, and to have him listen to the album and just be amazed and proud and you know that this this thing that I've been working on you know through years and working two jobs and going to school at the same time and you know writing and grinding you know he was like wow this has really blossomed into something incredible so that was a triumph for me giving my gifting my parents with the physical copy of the album and having them be like excited about like the packaging mm. and you know just amazed by that because like I literally that's how I started my love of music by rifling through their own record collections and you know their record collection collections and their taste in music influenced you know the beginnings of my own um so that was huge for me um then uh you know like I said, charting, I think we charted, what, number nine the first week. Um, so that was just incredible because, again, you don't think as an independent artist that, well, I, I right. didn't think as an independent artist that that would ever happen for me and happen so soon with this. You know, I've, I've put out quite a few records, but this is my first record with Rhyme Sayers with a larger platform um, and larger access to things. Um, and having 
that hit was was incredible. Forever hitting its first million was incredible. Um, and now it's at five million. Like just to hear that. And then an, a, another major triumph, and this will be my last one, is just the overwhelming response from people listening to Forever and how my stories, something that was that were something that was so personal and so private that I hadn't told, you know, even my friends, you know, in confidence about, you know, my, the, the things that I talked about in that song, self-harm and things like that. Right. And to put it in a song and to show my scars in a video and to have people hitting me up talking about my daughter deals with that. Thank you for this. I, you know, people coming up to me at shows and showing me their own scars and, you know, just, um, happy, and um, just validated by hearing someone be able to uh, speak about it with no shame and speak about how, you know, we're still beautiful regardless of these scars seen and unseen. Um, so, yeah, so that that was really, really huge for me because, you know, you never know how a song's going to hit. <laughs> right. Did you feel any obligation to make a point to an audience that you can embrace your wounds as well as maintain an identity with this material? Um, I think it started with, you know, me just embracing it for myself, you know. But I think I, I did write it because I did see how with social media and these platforms, there was this quest for perfection to showcase perfection in so many different forms, you know, body image and, um, you know, photoshopping and perfect life, perfect trips, you know, all of these things. And I saw, you know, I was reading the articles that showed how it can affect mental health and how people were starting to doubt or belittle themselves in their lives because they couldn't compare or live up to these um, really created fantasies. And I thought back to myself being a, <clears throat> a preteen teenager who was looking in magazines and seeing these images of so-called perfection that were unrealistic standards and how I compared and how, because I felt I didn't live up to it or I didn't see reflections of myself, um, I wanted to punish myself for it amongst other things. Um, so I felt that the timing of it was necessary and in healing my own wounds, as you say, you know, hopefully I could, you know, help people uh, do the same for themselves. Yeah. And you did. This is, you know, every song on this album uh, works in several different ways as it does for you in becoming therapy for the listeners. Wow. Uh, yeah, that's um, incredible uh, that, you know, some people have received it as that. You know, especially, and I think that that's the importance of writing and that's the importance of art um, to share your, in um, sharing your story, in mm. sharing your, in uh, sharing your personal um, anecdotes, you know, finding the humanity, the listeners, the viewers, you know, finding the humanity within that, you know, you may not have grown up or experienced life the way that I had, but at the end of it all, you know, everybody has had 
you know, a, a feeling of being an outsider or a feeling of being unheard or a feeling of being unwanted or unloved. Right. And, you know, we can parse through, you know, the more specific details and find like this general, um, this general longing to find the beauty within ourselves, to find um, the value and celebrate that within ourselves. Absolutely. You mentioned circuiting back, you mentioned some of these biggest triumphs making this project being these collaborations. There's the inclusion on, I believe, seven songs of one of the most legendary players, Preston Crump, legendary bass player, of course. Ah! This is somebody who's worked on a major foundational song that defined your relationship with hip hop, with Outcasts, Wheels of Steel. How did you link for those mm -hmm. seven songs on this project? You know, Preston has played on many of my albums. He's an old friend of Soul Messiah who produces all of my music. Um, and though he's not from Atlanta, he's been in Atlanta for a long time. Soul Messiah is from Atlanta. They both were working with some of the same artists around the same time during like the classic Atlanta music era. And, um, you know, they're friends and Messiah, Soul Messiah has used him for, you know, his other artist projects as well. And he's always been like, yo, we got to get Preston on this. Like Preston is going to bring life to this. He's going right. to give it that soul that we need because um, he's just amazing. He's just amazing. And every time the music comes back and, you know, he's added, you know, this heartfelt, soulful bass to it, it just elevates it to beyond, you know? Yeah. So yeah, Preston is, is great. <laughs> Dropped from out the clouds, had to change form Flooded the plains, had them praying for my brainstorms I'm a master, peace from divine A worker, I got a bit of mob trying to frame John I'm here to win ever a conflict With a postcode drawn, so the pros and the cons split Professionals, been robbing hoods with a palm flick Gave to the poor and the black, the stigmata of convict See the cross we bear is too familiar Embedded in the home of the brave, the darkest of interiors So street scholars and soldiers defect Cause they post-traumatic stress on the American experience Go all in, I'm finna go all in Merc every line came before this delivery Make our friends, see my heart bleed From the hardship of my origins My great-grandson from a band is something auctions It's a razor edge in my cadence that's shredded through these paper trails Only alphabet boys I trust is in a wagon nail Only alchemy justify the nuggets I expel In the city idols trying to be the next Ida Wells Rock You talk about the delay this album had on the opening track to Sharecropper's Daughter, Options. I was wondering as to what kind of timeline you recorded the six new songs on a deluxe edition. Were these recorded after the fact or around the same timeline? Some of them record, were recorded around the same timeline. Some of them record, were recorded after. So, um, And then some of them were songs that weren't intended to make the album at all. But going back, it's like, wait a minute. No, this this makes sense. You know what I mean? Some of them were just cut because the album was too lengthy. So for time purposes, we were like, okay, let's figure out how we can add them at another date or whatever. But then we had a couple that we recorded after the fact as well. So they were just kind of a mix of everything. Got you. Got yeah. you. Mm -hmm. So when does the track with MF Doom come about, which is produced by Evidence? It's the only track on yes. the project not produced by Soul Messiah. Was this process as true to the experience of working with Doom as, as you might imagine it was? Well, Evidence actually did two songs on the album. Uh, he did Deliverance as well. But um, with that, that was one of those things where... 
we were hoping against hope to get him, but we didn't know, you know, if it were possible, you know, and, uh, but he was on the label at the time, you know, he's, he's my label mate. He was my label mate and we had a way to access him, but you just never know who, you know, who he'd be willing to get on a project with. Um, and then, you know, someone who's a legend like him, someone who's so as mysterious as him, you just kind of hope that, <laughs> hope that um, mm. you could get that kind of collab or you can get that caliber of, of person um, to show up like that. And uh, the label reached out to him and I got more that I bargained for. Not only did he agree to do the track, but he said, yeah, Cyrock is dope, of course. So, <laughs> so getting that compliment from him uh, made me want to faint. I and then he got on, he got on the track. He, you know, we recorded it remotely, so I didn't get a chance to meet him before he passed, unfortunately. But um, you know, just hearing people's stories of him um, and their relationship to him, or just even sightings when he and his family lived in Atlanta. You know, people used to be like, "Oh, I saw, I just saw Doom at the Apple Store," and and one of my college friends is his cousin. So like, you know, just hearing these stories about this, this, these relationships and these little anecdotes from him are, um, help to kind of flesh out this myth of a man and to have, um, his presence on my album is just everything. It's an amazing track. Thank you. Thank you. I love it too. I want to talk about two tracks on this project. I want to talk about um, Deliverance and Goddess Gun. Were, were those flows on Deliverance and Goddess Gun initially hard to master? And the reason I ask that is because I don't think I've heard a Sour Rock track quite like those songs specifically. Um, <laughs> you know, it's funny. I've worked on, I've worked on that for years. Um, huh. And... When I first heard like MCs that use that, you know, kind of double time flow, uh, I always wanted to do it because I'm competitive, one. Mm. Um, I don't like not being able to do something. And I remember practicing and being mush mouth with it and, you know, my words not being clear and like just practicing, practicing, practicing until I can get it right. Um, and another thing is I like to fill space um within a track uh so for me like if there's a certain like bpm on a track or something like that or if there's a certain if they're you know 808s and things like that certain types of tracks uh make me think of rhyming like that so like with that um with god is saying it instantly like the energy of it and like the you know the the band, like the Atlanta Southern classic, like kind of sound, like made me instantly want to do that. And right. I was, it, that's years in the making. <laughs> yeah. That. yeah. Like I say, those two tracks specifically stand out to me as feats in your career, you know, in terms of you just bringing a different style to the table. And I like to switch it up. Like, I don't like, rhyming a certain way like i know a lot of mcs have a signature style and right. they're known for a particular cadence or a particular flow and for me i get bored easily <clears throat> um in terms of you know anything that i do i always like to i don't like like 
am, I'm not saying that those other artists are stagnant or whatever, but for me, the way that I think and the way that I create, I don't like staying in, in one kind of place. So I like to play around with, you know, different styles, flows, mm. um, voices, even, you know, texture of voice to just whatever the track, I feel like the track needs, it can benefit from. So, yeah. If I could get a taste of my freedom, I would save her every petite be pied. Planes like I was the skeegees, flaggers, let him in comic allegiance. Why get riding on these mics can turn a phrase like I can Tina. Stories blooded and beaten so well, we're calling on red tails. How convenient facts. The struggle I know left physical scars as lasting proof. Mommy and pops residual trauma pushing the bottoms absolute. Homie, that 90s era was rocky, had to be sly now Fox the coop. Everyone knows a rose can grow from cracks, but most don't blossom fruit. So my lyrical watch like miracle drives me beat. I'm pasta news, that's daylight from the soul. I'm undersold and over hip hop to boot. They worship green like guy got bands to ear like radios topped in goose. My samples clear, I push gems like the beers, no conflict, just the truth. Sick I'm the plug, I'm giving the people the power, trying not to blow out the fuse. I'm so close to these lower and upper cases that I guess that it's best I refuse. Telling me I need to party and bullshit to win, winning homie, I guess I'ma lose. Ain't no biggie, I'm black up, shitty gun raps, new giddy and summon the troops. Rap, rap. I'm turning over a new leaf, shame life with a new leash. Game time, different frame, mine hit the lab up like a two piece. I ain't a fan of the fame, y'all keep the bread in the groupies. I just want a group of law fam in a fight, win bet the crew eats. My guy, my guy, this is stress free zone. This is best free zone. I just want a group of law fam in a fight, win bet the crew eats. My guy, my guy, this is stress free zone. This is best free zone. I'm just trying to elevate, you dig? Talk about the role Afrofuturism has had on you making this material as a way to work through some of these emotions and expand your idea of what's possible. Um, well, I've definitely been influenced by some of the early innovators in what I would call Afrofuturism and speculative fiction, you know, mm-hmm. authors like Octavia Butler, who has imagined, who imagined worlds of you know what could be um and where we might go um i think for me and for many artists the importance of creating in the process of speaking you know i I, i'm very much believe in this idea of word sound power and we create um we can create realities based on you know what we say and what we put out into the universe and in imagining reimagining what's possible for us you know thinking beyond you know limitations that the world has imposed upon us um thinking beyond um thinking beyond um the restrictions and that our environments and our historically you know have been um imposed upon us is is important for us to construct that very future. Um, so I think that in envisioning these things and putting, you know, pen to paper and speaking these things, we can start to make a real future, future um, shift. Mm. Um, yeah, so... So take me through the process of creating this album in in such a transformational time and seeing the world anew and rereading the signifiers, repurposing and remixing, refusing and recreating them as a way to come out triumphant on the other side. Um, it's a lot of write, writing and rewriting, <laughs> and, a, and 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 
really thinking about intentionality, um, really figuring out the balance, because while it's important to um, air out some of the things that we keep repressed and we keep hidden from the world, um, things that are painful, things are, that are traumatic, um, which is incredibly important for us to start to address and, again, re, um, revise, you know, in the future. Uh, it was important for me to balance that out with, okay, with this, and that's why I always say trauma and triumph. So with this, you know, where do we go from here? Mm. How do we address this to break this pa- pattern, break this cycle? Because often the things that, uh, you know, we pass down and um, from from generation to generation are not only stories, but habits and um, uh, that are based in trauma. So it's, it's, it's more than just talking about that piece. It's about where do we go from here? And so like just as important as it was to, to make the title track, The Sharecropper's Daughter, where I talk about, um, you know, the, the pain in, in, you know, history of Jim Crow and stuff that, that my father experienced at the end of it all. At the end of the song, I'm talking about, you know, my family instilling love in me. And that's what we mm. had. Um, as well as this painful history, we also had that love. Um, to move forward with. Uh, and then at the end, the the end track, I believe is uh, Grounded. Um, and so with Grounded, you know, finding through, through all of this, through this, through this um, reshaping of myself from someone who's deeply wounded by my experiences and my history to figuring out and finding my voice and fine tuning that voice right. to <clears throat> finding myself rooted in not only the pain of my ancestors, but also the power that they've poured into me. And, you know, where do I take that power? How do I use that power to hopefully empower someone else and influence someone else to work through those um, emotions mm. and um, tough, tough uh, topics, you know? We mentioned evidence earlier, and I think his album kind of mirrors in a way somewhat the experience of this album in that he's made an album that he wanted for the listener to come to conclusion that it was made to lead to choices of strength. And I think it's very comparable to this album in that, like I say, these the, the, this is a lot of subject revolving around choices that lead to strength. And I was wondering if he had any conversations with evidence about that specifically, with what he was going through specifically last year. Um, I didn't, I hadn't spoken to him specifically about that, but I did you know, just being his label mate and um, chopping it up in the studio with him and, and you know, having met his family, um, you know, I got a general sense of how, you know, important it was for him to work through his painful experiences through his most powerful, um, his most powerful tool, which is music. And you know, working through that, not only for himself, but for his, his son and for his listeners and all of those things. And, and those are all of the things that, you know, 
for us as artists and creatives, um, understanding that those kind of those responsibilities kind of weigh heavily on us, you know, ourselves first, and then to the people who look up to the music that we make and and are affected by the music that we make. Um, Again, telling that complete story, you know, where, where do we go after we are enveloped in this, in these emotions and these pains, in this pain, in this experience, where do we go? Um, How do we emerge? Was was it always an easy process or as easy of a process as you make it sound to talk about these subjects you're talking about? How long did it take no. you? <laughs> no, 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 no. Not at all. Uh, it was very challenging. I mean, this is, I feel like I started to play around with being like incredibly honest on, um, on my albums. I would put like little tidbits of things, you know, little clues to you know, parts of my past and, you know, a song here or there. Um, But it was very challenging. You know, some songs never even made it on the album because they were so tough for me to even record without, you know, crying, you know. So I think as I, you know, recorded song after song and hearing you know, once it was completed, like hearing how that song lent itself to the other, the next part of the story, and then finally hearing the complete album, it it became easier and easier as I, right. you know, kind of dove in head first. But it is not easy at all. Right. And I think that's why so many people, especially in hip hop, don't really do it. They they do what they feel comfortable with. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think that that is, one of the key things to creating like groundbreaking work is to dive out of that comfort zone. And I'm, I'm a pragmatist. Like I'm super practical. I like things to, to, I like to be familiar with what I'm doing and (laughs) I like to work at it and have practice and stuff. Um, So for me, that really, really is challenging for me. Um, But I needed to go through that to grow as an artist, you know, so. My mic is like my only highlight in my life Some days I testify into eights like saints on Sundays Cause I've been through the sewage and come back unfazed Now my music's my temple of worship so come praise Now let me reintroduce myself, I'm Sarak They call me Red or Shorty for short on my block Ain't had no bread, fam kept me fed on Garvey and Gil Scott So I'd keep a real shot Now I'm trigger happy, busting too often for my esophagus Offer my soul up in every reversal, my consciousness CDC maybe, but I'm bigger than the metropolis Super manifest of my lane from cryptic sarcophagus. I ain't gonna lie, low recognition would be dope. Cause I be chanting just like a penis. I need remote. The ghost of my past, a man in the heart, my every quote. Into the truth, says my future, just like an antidote. Hand to God. I guess ten albums of evidence just did not suffice. This world don't fit me, I'm wearing it like a faulty size. But I still slay every space I've been known to occupy. Be when ink on this 8 by 11, they call me Octopi. But most of my lines don't see light of daylight, they track you live. And so afraid of my honesty. What about meditation? What kind of role does meditation have in your process and writing? 
Um, it's pretty integral to it. How does that um, work for you? Up, um, uh, what do you mean? In terms of the relationship between meditation and your pen, how do, how do those two worlds merge? Um, I use it as a tool to help me clear some of my blocks um, and then just to kind of tap into myself a little bit deeper. Um, for me, to it helps with that focus especially when, you know, the anxiety is revving up or, you know, if I'm trying to figure out like what I want to say, you know, my particular point of view on this, on a track or a song or whatever. And for me, just getting that centering is really, really important. Um, I've been, I've been meditating for a while. My parents were like, super heavy into transcendental meditation in the 70s so like so. we had like a mantra and all that stuff a family mantra and all that stuff so so in order whenever i get like kind of off balance i go back to that um to just really tune in zero in on mm. you know the, the heart you know because that's what we should be writing from we should be writing from the heart and the soul and meditation is the one of the quickest ways once you're able to um, tap into it to kind of tap into that heart soul energy and channel that through your pen. So it's a way for you of, of, of filtering an unnecessary access. Yeah, for sure. Would yeah. I be right in saying that this collaboration with Styles P for Rockwell's America comes about through a mutual interest in veganism? Yeah, you would be absolutely right. <laughs> <laughs> so how does that come about exactly? Yeah, we, um, well, we actually both worked with an organization called Hip Hop is Green. Nice. And it is, they got um, the 10th principle of hip hop or the, the 10th facet of hip hop, you know, added to like the hip hop proclamation and of health and wellness. And their, I guess, mission is to use the creative arts, particularly music, hip hop, especially because um, to to basically bring about awareness um, in communities, underserved communities, uh, about healthy eating and veganism and environmental sustainability. Um, but particularly using the vehicle of hip hop because you know so many it has such a profound influence in so many people, so many um, legends in hip hop have passed on because of, you know, preventable, uh, I won't say that because we, no one knows, but like right. from uh, diseases or things that are related to diet. Um, so we met when we were doing a panel for some young people in Seattle. And I had always, you know, of course, been an admirer of, styles and the locks and um, music. But then I started seeing like what they were doing with Juices for Life um, and like, you know, how he just changed his diet and lifestyle and, and was, you know, opening up these juice bars and stuff in these communities that were food deserts and, you know, where, you know, bodegas didn't have like fresh fruit or vegetables and people didn't have access to that. And I just, you know, admired him even more. 
So anyway, we met on this panel and we started chopping it up about like just just general, you know, uh, reaching out about songs. Yeah, we should do something together, you know, (laughs) you know, but you never know what's going to actually happen. You just throw it out there. Sure. And then when we recorded that song, we like, we got to get Ghost on here. And he just so happened to be, he had just got finished recording with Black Thought. Mm. So I don't know if, if Thought had like said anything or what, but he immediately was like, yeah, let's go. And he jumped on it and the rest is history or future, you know? This is a portrait of America that Norman couldn't master. But crack Rockwell suited for the caption. Whole hood hostage to that white in the glass. But because the prison's black, it wasn't labeled a disaster. Too hard not to internalize. So I keep burning in this personal hell to the infernal dies. Government feeding us bullshit instead of truth. Giving birth to a dishonest nation we call it fertilized. We had a house kept getting robbed. Remember the night daddy brought the pistol out to end the men involved. And 5 came to grace us with their presence two hours an incredible track and we're in such a pivotal moment for hip-hop and veganism right now aren't we what are your what are your thoughts on the many artists in hip-hop turning to plant-based ventures as second careers i think it's dope i mean as i said before hip-hop is a global you know the culture is the influence is global the influence is global and it's so powerful in terms of planting the seeds for ideas and like changing people's perception or shaping people's perception of like how we see the world setting trends, you know, making people think. So being a trailblazer when it comes to not just, you know, uh, fashion style, um, um, and culture, but also, you know, food culture as well. Like what is, what does that mean? The future is, is more sustainability. The future if we want to see our beloved artists live past 50 or shoot these days, 45, you know, we have to start thinking about what we're eating, what we're consuming. Um, and so it's, it's really, really dope in terms of also in, in showing people that we can branch out beyond the music industry. Mm. There are other industries that we can, um, that we can capitalize off of that actually, do good for the planet and do good for communities and especially for you know many african-american hip-hop artists it's important for us to be having these conversations about what the food is doing to us and how it's affecting the you know not only our our physical bodies but you know food the correlation of food to um learning and um and so many other things so Mm. i i love to see it Absolutely. And for anybody listening who wants to reclaim their health and and strive to be more health conscious, what steps to empowerment would you recommend people take? What would be the most digestible and cost effective way for somebody to start, you know, a a vegan diet and and convert? Um, Honestly, I would say, you know, it doesn't have to be complicated. You know, look to... um, countries that they, you know, one would call a third world country, but that's offensive. We'll say developing countries or um, countries not of the Western world. Look at their diets. They're eating legumes. They're eating grains. They're eating vegetables, you know, whole vegetables. And like going to your local grocery store and most grocery stores now have a natural section 
you know, and mm. grabbing those things that are relatively inexpensive. Like, you know, if, if you, if soaking a bag of chickpeas is, is too um, time intensive, grab you a can of chickpeas, grab you some brown rice. Mm. Um, you know what I mean? Because some of the more expensive, like refined vegan things can be very expensive, can be cost prohibitive for people who don't, you know, have the budget for that. But there are so many grains, beans, um, you know, pastas, veggies that are not, you know, as expensive as we may, that we've been led to believe. There it is. You mentioned Soul Messiah just earlier at the top of the interview. I know you guys are working right now. How is he pushing you to grow as an artist with this material you're working on? And what's the situation with this material? Um, well, with him, we're like night and day with the way that we create. <laughs> he is, I mean, he's been doing it. He's been in the world of hip-hop since he was 10 years old. And so he has figured out his formula and he knows, well, not his formula. He has figured out, um, he's tapped into being able to create, you know, on, at a whim. You know what I mean? Um, so we, he'll have like five, six, seven songs in and I'm still working on one. But so what he's always done to inspire me and motivate me is to kind of push me to create more than than what I'm normally comfortable doing. Mm. I can get I can get into my head super easy and wow, that's a good, you know, way to discern what's good, what's not, what's making what um and making sure like you're putting your all into something. You know, you do need to think about and be and consider like what you're writing and what you're doing and what you're releasing. But at the same time, you also need to um not overwork something, like overwork an idea. And so what he does is he pushes me to to step back from something <clears throat> and look at something outside of my anxiety-laced mind, <laughs> anxiety-laced mind or overthinking self and be like, you know, let it go, come back to it and re-listen with fresh ears and see if you still feel the same way. Um, he also pushes me to experiment with like beats that I'm not really comfortable with. As I, as I said earlier, like certain BPMs, like slow, slower BPMs, I don't really, um, care for, um, but he'll be like, just try it, you know, just try it. And he, he's constantly pushing me to challenge myself. And that's really important for me because I like to, I like to, my safe space is being, is, is being in or doing things that I know that I thrive at. Um, but you can't really do that as an artist. In order for you to innovate and push forward and set yourself apart, you can't do that. So he's been instrumental in like in motivating me to do that. So it's a very much a energizing relationship you have, a one that, like you say, pushes you to delve into this consistency and learning new techniques and not being scared. How much, mm -hmm. how much time are you dedicating to your craft every day when it comes to writing? Because you're one of the most prolific. You know, that's no secret. How much are you writing every day? Well, it really depends. Every day is different. Yeah. Every day is different. You know, sometimes, sometimes it can be hours, and sometimes I don't have it in me. So I'll try to write, like, 
um, maybe for an hour and then put it down and be like, okay, I got to come back to this because it's not flowing, you know, Um, it's not flowing. So it just really depends. I'm I'm a really big proponent of, you know, at least practicing at least every day or not practicing, but writing something at least every day. So even if it's not a rap, if I'm journaling, which will in turn like, um, which will in turn feed into what I eventually write as I am letting the words flow from me, as I am using my voice in another way, that is going to um, influence and aid in my actual you know, musical writing. So I just try to write or be creative in some way every single day. So I, you know, it, but it depends on the mood. <laughs> Sarok, thank you for joining us on this episode and talking about the album, unpacking the album, Sharecropper's Daughter, which is available, of course, streaming now everywhere. Thank you so much. I appreciate the conversation. Um, man, it's always interesting to talk about uh, your work after you've released it to the world. Um, it's, just get, it's just a little different perspective. So. I appreciate the conversation, the dialogue, and having me think a little deeper about some of the processes. So thank you. They keep telling me chill, queen. Let them wait for the reveal, sing. Now I'm about to put me in multiple spots. It's a lyrical box in your grill. Meaning I'm ill. I will not deal. I am from shout to DC. That means I only know how to go, go until I'm on a marquee getting properly built. Cause stop being a part of my stock on my bill. No man. I'ma keep this campaign up till rock for praise and grains. The popular trail slogan. That's word, goddamn. See, I want you to levitate. My shit don't just medicate. I wish I could show my appreciation for this podcast. I wish I could respond to it somehow or be notified in the future when Fly Fidelity updates because it's so great. But I don't think there's a way I can do any of those things. Uh-oh. You're wrong. <laughs> Subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud and never miss an episode. Find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. My peoples, are you with me where you at?